Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. The only one that's making your money is you. So to the Bitcoin podcast. I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't I wasn't going to start this podcast anymore. Like all podcasts on the planet start, Corey. Do you know how all podcasts and on the start? welcome back to another episode of so and so. Yep, it's either that or it's a uh, hey guys or hey what's up everybody. It's they're all the same and I like, was like, wow. You'd be like, bro, Bro, joking and be like, uh, what's up, freak bitches? What's up, freak bitches? I'm just going to say what's up. I'm just going to act like I'm talking to a person. Because I am. I'm talking to you who's who's listening. So. No, you're talking to me. They're just they're just eavesdropping like weirdos. Yeah. Fucking weirdos. Um, well, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode 310. I thought I said we were going to get drunk this episode, but it's like... Pretty early on a Saturday to be drinking like so it that. It makes you feel better. Uh, I think I'm hungover or still drunk from last night. And okay. I am drinking. Currently. You are. Should I go get a drink? The hair of the dog. Should I? I can I go mean, get a drink. I can. It can we can brunch drink. I'm fine with I'm already drinking. So if you want to pause and we'll do like a virtual pause and then yeah. come back with the drink and we'll do that. All right. Hold on. We're going to play some elevator music real quick. While I go get a drink, if you guys are cool with that, and then we're gonna we're do gonna, you're gonna start. Episode. What we can do, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna do a technical explainer today. Um, it's gonna be on multi-signature transactions. If you would like to hear that, slash be a part of it, we'll just pause. Pause it for just a minute. I'm gonna go make myself a nice brunch beverage. you 
such a good mood, isn't it? All right, yeah. I'm back. That was such a great. That was probably like my favorite intro that I think we've had. Even though I love the two artists that did the previous ones, yeah. like Lamont Landers and Gibbs are like some of my favorite artists. I can I kind of like you know smaller smaller named artists, mm-hmm. but like <laughs> that theme music for whatever the fuck game we had is still like my favorite intro. Yeah. So here's a, here's a podcast pro tip for you out there listening and, you know, starting up a podcast is something I think that every human should do. I think 30, 60% of humans should do. It's the new blog. It's the new way to voice your opinions and curate those opinions over time. Um, and it's a way to express your interests and passions. But And build a community of like-minded people. Absolutely. And the production thing intro music, outro music, theme music, this and that. If you want some cheap, free, legally, with a very low probability of legal repercussions coming at you, <laughs> find music and themes and things from very old shit that is very obscure. And then just uh, send them an email. Say, hey, I'm going to use your shit. <laughs> and then use it. And then they'll, you'll never hear from them again, and no one will yep. ever know where nope. the music comes from, and you now nope. have a theme song, and then that's the way it works. To be fair, uh, what was it? Was it? I feel like we. This was part of the main show. Uh, this is yeah. some trivia for you guys that uh, who've been who've been listening for a long time. Uh, I don't know what episodes it was, but there's probably a streak of fifty or more episodes where we had what I think was just we got it from Fiverr. I think we got it from Fiverr, but which is like a carbon copy ripoff of Radiohead. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was a Radiohead song as our intro for the longest time. Yep. And people were like, is that Radiohead? And we were like, maybe. No, we got it on Fiverr. And they're like, no, that's Radiohead. And we're like, no, we got it on Fiverr. You mean, you mean Fiverrhead? You mean Fiverr? You're saying these words and you're saying those. And then there was also hey, Evan like, Vanessa. Radiohead, it's fine. Evan Vanessa's podcast that was running. Um, it was just a Stranger Things hip hop remix. Oh, dude, yeah, that guy's just like, I'm gonna take Stranger Things and add a like a bobble to it and give give yeah. him that. And yeah, I'm surprised we never got. He still, he still has failed miserably in not naming something Evan Vanessa's. He's missing an opportunity big time there. Golly, Evan Vanessence is such a good podcast. And he's just like That's the best that's the best name for a podcast or newsletter. Like it's that's basically what his newsletter is. Yeah. And he can have a I'm gonna start calling it that. I'm just gonna call it that on Twitter publicly. I'm never gonna call it Week in Ethereum. <laughs> you mean the Evan Vanessa newsletter? I'm just gonna like, oh, you've been reading Evan Vanessence. I'm willing to pay for the low-level parody production for a uh, production for a parody Evanescence uh, song, if he does a podcast, I will I'll come out of pocket and pay for that gonna, myself. I kind of want to like go through their songs, like today. Wake me my up and Saturday, and think about which one is the most appropriate for an Evan Vanessa's podcast <laughs> intro. Save if me! We just make it. If we just make. All of the pieces around it, he'll come, right? <laughs> it has to work. Yeah, just just make it for him and then s- just yeah. drop him in there. And he's like, Here, can you just talk for a while and we'll make you a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> As um, a joke. Uh, 
All right. So sorry. let's get into crypto. Uh, you guys have been listening for a while. Um, you know, Bitcoin's blo- Bitcoin and Ether are gobbling the world. Okay, this is something that catches my eye every week, Corey. And I would like for us to discuss the idea of a wrapped Bitcoin. Now, in my mind, which is tiny sometimes, the size of a Brachiosaurus brain, which is tiny. A Bitcoin, a wrapped Bitcoin is if I take a Bitcoin and I stick it in an envelope and then I put that envelope in the inbox, which is Ether, then it goes on into Ether world and could do all things Ethereum, but be Bitcoin. And that's it. And then when I when I unwrap it, I get an envelope back. My Bitcoin is exiting Ethereum land. And is now back in my hand on the Ethereum and the on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the Bitcoin side is for this. So, and okay, so I would think it would be an output, and in the output, it's like, hey, sending my Bitcoin to Ethereum land. Yeah. Okay. That's certainly not what's working. But. The reason I bring this up is because of interoperability. And I saw this word today. I No, I saw this word this week. And then I realized, man, interoperability is really easy when the services, when, when people agree. And what I mean by that is I was on YouTube fucking off. And um, this, I was messing with the streaming settings. And I saw the interoperability settings. And I was like, whoa, there's a word I know. So then I clicked on it and it seemed like if you know the protocols to interoperate, then interoperability is an easy fix. Like you're just like, oh, there's an interoperability button. And since these streams, no, sorry, it wasn't YouTube. It was Google Meet. And apparently Google Meet is setting up the foundation for being able to use Google Meet with other video conferences just because they're using like the same protocols they can interoperate. So you don't have to do like Zoom calls or Web calls. It's called WebRTC is the, is the thing that they're using, which is made by Google. So I'm assuming that there will be a day where, yeah, you can be on Zoom and I could be on Google Meet and we could still have a video conference. Yeah, probably. Because they all use a very, they either use WebRTC or a WebRTC compatible protocol. So it's more often than not, like there, there could be something in the middle that allows the interoperability. So then it only becomes a battle of who wants to be rich, right? Because if there's a protocol that brings it all together, then they can all just use the protocol, but they're going to be battling. You mean that you like the idea of a single protocol that brings it all together? I do. I do like that idea. I love that idea. <laughs> do you know what Ethereum's trying to do? Hey, I or do. Everyone, know what Bitcoin. Like, that's what they're trying to do, right? That's what every network is saying. It's like, we're going to be the protocol that wraps it all together. I'm a big fan of that. I love, you know, how much I love ease of use. If I get across any friction, it gets jettisoned out of my import, like, out of my list of things to do. <laughs> Funny enough, none of that was scripted, right? We didn't plan on that conversation happening. I think it just worked out nicely. We didn't plan any of that, but uh, yeah, it's it's a neat idea. So, like, I guess I was as you were talking there, I looked up wrapped BTC, 
um, this chain security audit um, of it does a pretty good explanation of kind of how it works. And that is, uh, you like the, the, for one thing, you need a custodian for wrapped BTC, which Lightning does not require. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the process is I give my Bitcoin to a custodian, which is going to be whoever is controlling the smart contracts of wrapped BTC. Mm-hmm. And they say, cool, you gave me a Bitcoin. I am now going to mint an ERC-20 token called WBTC for wrapped BTC on the Ethereum network via the smart contracts that we've deployed. I check that user A got uh, sent me Bitcoin mm-hmm. on the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm now going to create a brand new representation of Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain that represents that Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You can now then use that token on the Ethereum network as if it is Bitcoin. Person says, all right, I'm done with this. I would like my Bitcoin back. They then tell that custodian, whoever's controlling those wrapped UTC contracts, I'm done here. That person says, all right, I'm going to burn that WBTC token or equivalent amount and send you back your Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Lightning does not operate that way. You, in, all, in, in the Lightning network, you say, I'm going to make a transaction that locks this big Bitcoin away through a time lock. Mm-hmm. And then it's an available, like the Lightning network sees that and makes it available on the Lightning network. There's no custodian. I'm not, I'm not asking someone to do this. The protocol does it itself. Interesting. Okay. I see this. So it's, it's trustless, right? Where you're like, you're, for RapBDC, you're trusting, you're trusting the entity, the custodian. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool. I think if, if interoperability becomes something that's possible, then we got a brave new world. Super brave. Um, there's no doubt in my mind this shit is like, it's got the staying power to go, especially when you see those grimy articles like Jamie Diamond was meeting with Brian Armstrong behind the scenes and not doing gay stuff. They were talking about money stuff. Oh, yeah. JP Morgan and Coinbase (laughs) getting on. Coinbase. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you see stuff like that. You keep reading stuff like that. And now I'm starting to like, for a good five years, there's been a very slow taper of at the very beginning uh, well, actually, since I got into cryptos further than five years, but at the very beginning was like, there were some sleepless nights there and some like, man, I wonder if I'm pouring all of this investment, emotional, social, financial, into something that's just going to vaporize one day. And I'm going to be that dude who was a fucking idiot. And like, <laughs> you have some nights like that where you're like, <laughs> you know, like every single person who is listening to this podcast is going like, yeah, I felt that before. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to be that fucking guy that I'm going to show up to parties later in life. And they're going to be like, hey, look at D. He's the fucking crypto guy. Remember that dumb shit? Remember it? <laughs> and I'm going to be like, yeah, that's me. I'm a re. I'm a retard. But that's <laughs> but yeah. or like those who are who have been in the. Those who have been in this industry for long enough have felt that at some point in their life. But now if you haven't, you just haven't been here long enough. That's I think that's my feeling. I'm pretty confident in saying that. If you have not felt that, 
you haven't been here long enough. Yeah. You're new. Yeah. And it's a certain character type that falls into crypto. I'm not going to lie. Like, I remember I did a 15 slide PowerPoint presentation to my family about (laughs) on a Christmas vacation. That's multi-level marketing level of like worry right there. Like your family was like, what is is he going to try and sell me knives at some point? Like, what's going on right now? Dude, it wasn't a, it was a legit pre- I took them through difficulty level. I showed them the graphs on, remember Bitcoin wisdom, which I think yeah. is slowly oh, dying. Sure. Hold on. Let me see if Bitcoin wisdom is still around. Uh, Bitcoin wisdom. That was my, God, that was my go to website. Please be around. Please still be a thing. Ooh, it's taking a long time to load. Ooh, it's about to do some servers. It's not looking good for Bitcoin it's not wisdom. Good for Bitcoin wisdom. There's a little eye there. View site information. Ooh, too many. Co- Ooh, it's not looking good. Anyways, Bitcoin wisdom was a website that like it all. It not only had pricing, but it also had lots of charts that were very beneficial to help with uh, mining and understanding all of those metrics when it comes to hash power, hash rate. Um, what a great URL to not be working anymore. Yeah, man, that's sad. That's really sad. But it would let you know you because we were into mining. So they had Litecoin wisdom and Bitcoin mm-hmm. wisdom. Mm-hmm. And we would look at the hash mm-hmm. rates to try and predict what our ROI would be. And it was great. Um, but anyways, I showed yeah, them I like about that. I showed them like point by point breakdowns of the difficulty and like when it adjusts and how and like why this is a thing. And then I explained to them like what hash rate was. And then the only thing they said was like, that is really neat. That is really neat that you like that. And I was like, <laughs> that's like the universal. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> we're not, <laughs> we're not listening. He's really trying. Yeah. Now fast forward the clock. Um, what is that now? Seven years. And my dad is like calling me like, Hey, I'm about to be, I'm about to fucking curse Coinbase out. And I'm like, what? This is a great cover. This is a great way to start a conversation. By the way. I'm like, Tell me more. And he's like, they didn't, they've been, they've been taking my fucking money and putting in all these motherfucking coins. And I didn't do shit. They're playing motherfucking shell games with my money. And this is this is how black conversations happen, by the way. This is <laughs> this is your dad. This is exactly your dad. He's not joking whatsoever. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I've been trying to call them. And I'm like, you can't call Coinbase. Like, Why the fuck not? And I'm like, it's a new company. You're gonna <laughs> And I'm like, you can't call, you gotta, you gotta go online. And he's like, this is some bullshit. I don't even know. I want. Bitcoin. I've been invested in Bitcoin. Now I got this B B B C H. I got this Bitcoin Cash. I got this other Bitcoin shit. And I'm like, and what the fuck <laughs> oh is God, Ethereum yes. and Ethereum Classic? Why do I have this? And I'm just like, oh boy, it's gonna get deep. So <laughs> oh no. I, how do I explain I, this? Yeah, I immediately set aside the next 40 minutes of my life. And I'm <laughs> oh like, all God. right. Uh are you familiar with forking? And he's like, no, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, all right, like open source development. Nope. And I'm like, okay, makes sense. You've worked for the government for like 40 years. You, you wouldn't know what open source means at all. All right. So, so I take him through that, all that. And I'm like, so what has, so fast forward 40 minutes later. So what's happened is you got free money. And this is his immediate response. He goes, oh, well, shit, that's all the fuck you needed to say. And I was like, Okay. 
<laughs> I was like, okay. Well. <laughs> so that's the whole conversation. But I don't know why I went on that tangent. I don't know where we started. That was the greatest tangent ever. That was but that was that was, a, that was a quality look into a lot of people's lives when the millennial that's listening to this episode tried to explain this stuff to their parents. Yeah. Or like like there's a lot of people who have gone through that exact same scenario. And I know your dad personally. And that that is 100% the words that came out of his mouth in the way they came out. <laughs> They're playing fucking shell games with my money. And I was like, oh, shit. He is pissed off. Your dad. Your dad is pretty much like a black exploitation film. He can be, yeah. He is. Like if I, if I, it's, it's, it's hilariously stereotypical. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. It is. It is it is amazing. He is I have a very uh what's the black dude on Family Guy? Oh, why am I not forgetting that? Or remembering that? Cleveland. It made a yeah, Cleveland. They made a whole yeah. show on him. They made a whole show on him. Well Cleveland's wife's name, Loretta, that's my mom's name, Loretta. So <laughs> that tells you how my life was. Loretta? Anyways, um, <laughs> let's get into multi-signature transactions. Yes. Here's a technical explainer. Wait, I think I have, I think I have some music for the, this technical explainer. Hold on. Don't do that. I'm going to hit the record button on Google Meet so we can put this on YouTube. Okay. So for those who are listening to the podcast episode, uh, you can go watch the video that's about to start about me doing a technical explainer on multi-signature transactions. Is that a good technical explainer explain, like transition? I I think that's the best uh, intro for technical explainers, to be honest. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. All right. So, technical explainer of today's episode is going to be on multi-signature transactions, right? Um, I think this is a one of the fundamental uh, use cases of this technology, like this simple concept that's baked in to Bitcoin and as a myriad of like implementations on Ethereum is one of the most powerful things you can do with money. Word. Like it's the reason why we use blockchain in terms of like the money part in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very real sense. Uh, but it's, it's like, baked into it it's so like primitive uh that I don't, I don't think a lot of people even realize it's there or have thought about have thought about it too much mm. so what's a multi-signature transaction i think in order to fully grasp it i'll describe what a regular transaction is on all these networks and that is i am going to broadcast my desire to send i'm going to say me and you are sending each other money Okay. I'm going to broadcast my desire to send you a tra- send you money. All right. And then make a transaction that is uh, that is following the rules of the network that I'm using, whether it be Bitcoin or Ethereum. And I send it to the to the to the miners, and they eventually mine it. They've checked that it follows all the rules, and it works. So I am signing a, a message that verifies that I'd like to give you some money. Miners check it. They say okay. Put it on the blockchain. And now you are the owner of that Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? That's it. That's the transaction. 
it only required me to say those things. What a multi-signature transaction is, is um, doing the same thing, sending money, but requiring more than one person to sign off on saying it's okay to send that money. That's it. So instead of a one-of-one signer, where it's just me saying I want to do it, there's an N of M signers that says this many people in a group of this many people have to say okay before this money is sent. Now, typically when you do that, it wouldn't, mm-hmm. it would be a contract or, you know, something like, like traditional finance. This is baked into the protocol through cryptography, which is awesome. I don't need to trust anyone to make sure that all the people said it's okay before the money's moved. I just need to have those people say okay with their, with their keys. And then the money is moved automatically and it won't happen ever unless enough people say it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Just like the fact that I don't need to trust anyone and I can set up accounts that have different levels of security or convenience or whatever in such a way where I don't have to trust someone to screw me about money being moved. I just need to make sure that the people who would like it to be moved uh, based on the agreements we have individually do their job. And in some cases not depending on how you set this up. So let's talk about a few of like, uh, let's talk about the process. So we're say we're going to do a uh, two of three multi-signature account. That means there's three people involved. What? 17 and 21. 17. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to describe that process. <laughs> two of two of three uh, means that there are three people who can possibly sign the transaction in order to in order for it to be a valid transaction on the network, which means that money moves from point A to point B. Two of those three people have to sign off on it. it means they each individually need to make a transaction. So what happens is, uh, say I'm I would like to initiate this process and say uh, I would like for this group of people to send money to some contractor, some contract, some contractor we hired if we're a business, right? Uh, I'm going to make the transaction and broadcast it into the network and then tell the other two parties that I've done this. They find it, sign it, sign a transaction that says, I too agree to this. Mm-hmm. And the first person that does that the, uh, on the network, when the network sees that someone else did it, It'll process that transaction. Otherwise, okay. it just waits for that other party to do so. And what's nice about this is you have a lot of variability in um, how you set this up. You can, and, and, and that gives you kind of different use cases. So we'll talk about a few of the use cases. That is basically like if you want to have a joint account, you can have a one, uh, say you and your wife have an account you'd like to have in terms of like joint checking. That's a one of two multi-sig in which... Any of the parties can make a transaction and move money from one account to another. Okay. Right? That's like you both have access to the same money and anyone can initiate movement of that money. Uh, Another option is like just increasing the security, which is something I just previously talked about, the two of three. Uh, It makes it so that any, like, in order for money from move to point A to point B, you need multiple people to sign off on it. So that increases the security of whatever that that money holder is, that account. 
That means that like individuals can't abscond off of your money. You need a bunch of people to sign off on the fact of it moving. So for like higher risk funds, maybe a, maybe a, a savings account, that'd be a useful thing or cold storage or multi-factor authentication. So mm-hmm. this is just, even if it's just increasing the security of your own account, you can do a multi-signature where money doesn't move until you sign from three different accounts. Maybe, maybe two of those accounts are, are cold storage wallets or a hard wallet. Another one is just like your phone. Mm-hmm. Right. That gives you multi-factor authentication. But what that also does is also provide somewhat of a backup. You can do like a one of a one of three multi-sig. So that uh one of those accounts that, that has a possibility of signing uh is is a is a paper wallet. And you just put that like in a in a vault somewhere. And the other two is like a ledger and your phone. So say you lose your phone. Oh shit, I can't do it. I'm going to have to go get the paper back up so I can move that money. But you can still move the money. It's very, 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 very secure. But mm-hmm. uh, it still has some convenience factors. And if you lose your phone, you're not screwed, right? And so that's, those are kind of like some, some concepts of uh, how you can use multi-signature transactions. And right now, in Bitcoin and Ethereum, do it differently. So for Bitcoin, it's baked in. Uh, typically right now, what people refer to as a pay to script hash, maybe not anymore because of SegWit, but P2SH, when your account starts with a three, what you're doing is yep. your, your that only, that account only works if a specific type of uh, uh, script is solved on the Bitcoin blockchain. So there is, there is smart contracts. This is a form of a smart contract on Bitcoin, but it's baked in. And so, uh, that's a really nice feature of the Bitcoin blockchain that Ethereum doesn't have as securely. Is multi-signature yeah. transactions are baked in, basically baked into the protocol, and so you can do that. It's a P2SH type of a transaction baked in the protocol for multi-signature transactions. On Ethereum, it's a bit different. You have to create a smart contract, but what's interesting about that is you have a tremendous amount of variability in how you do that. You're you're more limited on the functionality in Bitcoin. But I would argue it's more secure. Uh, okay. But you have a lot more options in how you do that in terms of like uh, the the links and how you do it, or like multi like multi signature, or or even a multi factor, or having different types of tokens have different levels of security. So you can assign like percentages to each of the of the people in, in Ethereum. You can do a lot of cool stuff with these types of things. But it's a smart contract, and so. Depending on how complex that smart contract gets, uh, depends on like the level of security associated with it. Cause it has been tried, like tried and true and trusted and stuff like that. And uh, what's cool that about said, that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just saying like, and, uh, the last thing that I have here is that on Bitcoin, some, some good examples of wallets to use to do this stuff, um, is on Bitcoin, it's Electrum and Armor. I think the two best clients you can use to craft. And manage multi-signature transactions and wallets. And on Ethereum, I would use Nasus Safe um, or the multi-sig, which is the the progenitor to the Nasus Safe, as the like the standard methods of doing multi-signature um, in Ethereum. Yeah, it's it's very. And that's a technical mul- explainer. And there it is. Hold up, I got something for that. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> um, so I think that it is. Um, 
there's a lot of things that people are weary of uh, when it comes to crypto, and that is like hacking. Um, but another thing about the word hacking is that it's almost a hack at how illy described um, hacking really is done. It's just weird to me the myth, like the the mythology around hacking. When I've been around you and people that are, you know, highly more, um, I guess, have a much better uh, acumen for computer programming and the things going on on the very back end of all these fancy things. Technically savvy. Yeah. Technically savvy is, is it. But but technically savvy is even getting nuanced these days. So, I mean, I'm considered technically savvy in my circles, but when I go into. Yeah, that's true. Into your circles, I'm right. nowhere near technically savvy. Y'all would be like, this fucking noob doesn't know what a 2P23D3 yeah. script is. And I'm like, uh, no, no, I don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's like layers to technical savvy. I guess I'm technically savvy because I can use an Apple and an Android in two different hands. And it's pretty smooth. <laughs> but, um, uh, what am I trying to get to? I don't even remember where I started. Uh, shit. I, just, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. I just completely lost my train of thought. Multi-signature transactions yes. is what we were talking about. Multi-signature transactions are great for security because it allows you to kind of customize the security around where you're holding your funds. Many, many moons ago, we had a vault, a Coinbase vault for the Bitcoin Podcast Network's funds, and it required a three of five which means that Corey, myself, and our previous founder, Cello, had to all agree to move money out of that deep, hot storage. <laughs> all right, keep going. Keep, keep going. You can't do it. You literally can't do it. You can't Shit. say those words about laughing, dude. I mean, it's it's what it is. It's Child. literally what it is. Go ahead. But, Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> multi-sig is it allows you to secure your funds on the internet. And still be very have have a good amount of access to it if you need it. So, I think we should explain hierarchical determinism next week because it's, it's kind of a good. I'll segue. add it to the list and actually maybe get somebody to vote on these things. And not be lazy about it. Yeah, we should. We need to make that like a thing in the community, like a weekly poll for the technical explainers. I've been trying to. I just it's I'm lazy. Sorry. We have a poll integration in there, but I turned it off for another integration that you added. Uh, but anyways, that's behind the scenes talk. So this week we had an interview like most weeks. I'm glad we started the interviews back up, man, because it's a good change of pace to these shows. It gets people's work days going. Uh, this week we interviewed Jessica Angel. Now I know three weeks ago I told you we interviewed Jessica Angel and then I lied because I lost the interview, but Corey did not lose it this time. So I am a noob. That's the first time that I've lost an interview. Sorry. That's the second time I've lost an interview in five years. <laughs> the first time I lost an interview, audience, listen to this shit. I had to piece together 500 raw audio data slices from Audacity. So I think you just did that wrong. Like, there's a better way to do that. No, no, no. I don't think that there Programmatically? is. Oh, yeah, there is. There absolutely is. Programmatically, there's a better way to do that. Oh, well, probably, but I don't know script like that. But if you're using Audacity, listen to me now. 
Audacity is recording five second snippets and dumping them into a big file that's called the data file. And it's in, it's got an encryption on it. It's like E050DEF or some shit. Every five seconds it does this. And so I had to go. Then I had to figure out this encryption algorithm so I could figure out which, how to like chronologically put these that's pieces a, back together. That's not encryption, by the way, but keep going. What it, what would it, signatures? What would that be? It would just be, it's just a, like. It's the file format. The file format. Okay. That's a protocol for backing up data. Okay. That's not encryption then. It's codifying. So there we go. Audacity yeah. codifies how it saves these five second snippets. So you're talking about an hour and 20 minutes of five second snippets just kind of like dumped into a data and they're not in order. So you have to figure out how they've coded it and then go in and load each one into it was a it was the worst day of my life. Long story <laughs> that short, so terrible. Long story I'm short. So sorry you had to go through that. Do not lose your interviews. All right. So without further ado. Um, here is Jessica Angel. She is a crypto artist. Uh, she's participated in ETH Denver, uh, an art exhibit at ETH Denver, February 14th through the 16th. Uh, if you were in ETH Denver, then you know what it's about. She does art in the physical world, um, but really focuses on explaining the ethos and uh, of Ethereum. Uh, How is so, ethos not a name in Ethereum? Sorry, continue. Man, you bet. We better start handing off these these golden nuggets, man. Somebody go get that ethos.eth. Um, NFTs are her Eth. thing. OS. Say what? F.OS. Is that a domain? Is it OS.OS a TLD? I don't know, man. That's that. That'd be a good one. And though. go to the interview, and we may have a new yep. new site by the time this is your back. All right. <laughs> Here it is. Welcome back, everybody, for another interview on the Bitcoin Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty, and I have Jessica Angel with us, a uh, an artist in the crypto space trying to bring together uh, a bunch of things in the art realm using this new technology in novel ways. So welcome to the show. Uh, do the normal thing and start us off with explaining who you are and how you got into this space. Um, thank you, Corey, for having me. Um, my name is Jessica Angel. I'm originally from Colombia, from Bogota, but I live in New York. I've been here 10 years. And I've been focusing as an artist to in, in creating these spaces, these installation spaces, physical, real, tangible spaces that represent the space of um, information of computer information. So what I do is take over walls, ceilings, and floors, and with a group of assistants, um, I use a piece of vinyl to create these perspective-based um, murals that take over the whole space that are somehow disorienting because I use perspective, uh, and I create these um, sort of imaginary landscapes of the space of information. Um, I've been doing this for about 10 years, and this is one of the things that has been sort of taken, taken off in my career as an artist, even though I come from a painting and drawing background. Um, I'm really interested in philosophy and really interested in bringing some conceptual background or conceptual content to my work. 
And one of the reasons why I ended up depicting these uh, spaces and their information is because I've been really interested in thinking of information as what sort of um, uh, legitimizes or uh, grounds the way that we see the world, the way that we experience reality. So um, this kind of comes from Michel Foucault, um, a French philosopher from around 1970, uh, who would uh, study how the informational set of roles in each era has determined the way that people perceive reality. So because I'm interested in this, uh, information in my time will certainly is uh, quite intertwined with um you know, technology, and that is the reason why everything looks so digital, even though it is handmade and hand-created. So by doing these spaces, I encountered the blockchain space. Uh, I met Jason Toich, who is the founder of Truebit, a second-layer uh, sort of solution for the Ethereum blockchain, who was working on bringing uh, some art to the space by using a bounty that was called the Doge Ethereum Bridge uh, Bounty. And he claimed part of this bounty because Trubit created the verification layer for this bridge and claimed that part of the bounty and used it um, with an art piece with me. And this entered, I entered a rabbit hole with this project and I'm still working with uh, the art and blockchain community, and I have new projects coming where I will be able to play a little more. I know, Jason. I guess we can thank him for bringing you oh. into the space and bringing a new perspective to help people try and figure out what the hell yeah. we're doing here. Yeah, definitely. I think his vision was to um, bring new people to the blockchain space uh, from an experiential way instead of a um, you know, technical or cerebral one. You had to try and estimate or describe how your introduction to this type of technology specifically has changed your perspective on how tech influences humanity. Oh, wow. It's certainly shifted um, my views on how tech influences humanity. Certainly. Um, so, um, I mean, it's, it's a broad question. Um, just understanding the basic uh, ethos behind blockchain and decentralization and the fact that with blockchain, we can, for the first time, create digital, scarce, unique assets uh, that brings a whole new layer um, of um, the use of technology in a way that becomes um, utilitarian, if you may say that. So even in the realm of uh, art, when we see NFTs and how the space is booming, how and, um, three-dimensional digital objects are gaining momentum uh, but Decentraland or crypto voxels are providing the platforms for these spaces to exist and to be scarce and to be uh, valuable in such ways. Uh, it's, it's immense. So, yes, definitely this technology has many, many potentials on, on changing how we perceive 
reality and how we, we uh, can be of um, of living in this digital digital space in a more sort of grounded way when we think about the things that we possess. So, yeah, definitely, I believe that big changes are happening and getting, you know, to understand the technology um, is sort of bringing different ideas to my head. Some are positive, but some can be a little bit, um, I don't know, dystopian. So it's got, it seems like it's got its positive sides, but at the same time, it, it is, a uh, it is quite a leap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, quick pause. Um, you have, your video has gone into oh. some crazy fractal pattern huh. here. Uh, and your okay. voice is cutting out a tiny bit. Nothing that I need to edit out or anything, but you might want to try reconnecting. Should we, should we, should I reconnect? Or yes. Yeah, see. reconnect and I'm going to, ah. I'll just cut all Up oh, there you go. You're back. I don't know what you did, but okay, it worked. Perfect. Let me uh, make a note of this so I can. Yeah, it's definitely something I was curious about um, in terms of uh, how this has shaped because it's such a powerful technology that's making, that potentially could make it like a lot of impact on um our lives and our society. And I was curious if your mm -hmm. viewpoint has turned towards like a dystopian model of how things work or something that's kind of uh, gotten you into more, I don't want to say utopian, but like, like makes you feel stronger about the ideals and, and things you previously believed. And this is an empowering technology. Yeah, I think it, it applies in sort of both directions. I see it very empowering in terms of uh, being able to control your own uh, data, your own assets, to be able to be your own bank, the disruption against the banking system that the technology offers is quite impressive and quite amazing. And I think it provides possibilities for freedom or, you know, our freedoms or personal freedoms to be stronger. On the other hand, um, when I see that the technology allows for these, um, the possession of these digital assets that somehow, um, kind of let us be sort of more separated, kind of what we see what's happening with COVID, for example, that there's like more people using, uh, VR and these platforms and, the, the whole sort of advent of technology and the connections that we can make in our own space, uh, let's say using a headset on a VR world, and you basically won't even need to own your things that you have around your house because you can own these digital objects. I don't know if I like that so much. So I think it has positive things that are very empowering but uh, the fact that you are somehow detaching from the physical object and having the possibility of having the same relationship with digital objects, because these relationships that we have with objects and with the concept of being the owner of these objects is basically uh, psychological. This is mine and, and objects and our relationship with the things that we own is very dear and special and it's so almost shapes who we, who we are and who we project to be, uh, when these possessions leave the physical realm and become um, 
turn into the the inner space of information um it's just a little bit scary to think about uh this disconnect from from the physical space which is also in a way a little bit of a disconnect with nature and in my practice i'm trying to go a little bit back to nature i am a city person i grew up in the city and I've always uh, seen the city and urban developments as, as something something positive and really exciting. But as I see that these things really take place and start taking place uh, in vir- virtual worlds, for example, uh, hyper technology, it, it gets a little bit scary. Oh, man. Uh couple of things I want to mention here. Uh, mm-hmm. First, I, I want to recommend a book to you that I think you'd really mm-hmm. enjoy. Um, we interviewed the author, uh, Carl Schrader, on the show okay. a while back, uh, specifically around the book I'm, I'm recommending, which is called Stealing Worlds. And he paints okay. a beautiful universe of um, kind of everything you just described mm-hmm. in, 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 mm-hmm. in a lot of neat ways and the, and the potential repercussions and social consequences of mm-hmm. kind of how society acts in a world like that, where you, where you have these weird um, relationships of who you are and what you own through the things that like the objects that you possess. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, right. I also had like a really wonderful conversation about this with, um, Vinay Gupta on one of our mm-hmm. other podcasts about, mm-hmm. um, the concept of ownership of, of items and how people typically, uh, use physical possessions as a mm-hmm. way to try on a role, uh, in their life. Right. You, you tend mm-hmm. to buy items to, 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 try and facilitate being something like you buy a brewer's kit mm-hmm. to try being a brewer and like and so like the physical possessions end up being kind of a peripheral necessity to becoming somebody like or who you'd like to be and almost a proxy there mm-hmm. and when you start to kind of extend that ownership into the digital realm especially with like vr spaces and and places of congregation that are becoming more popular right. because of COVID, almost mm-hmm. uh it's it, yeah. it makes you wonder like what are those physical objects or what are those digital objects? And are they going to have the same role in our lives as, as what we do things with physical? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely. That sounds like, like a great reference. And there is a, a whole um, new sort of uh, thought system that I think will be built around this. And it, that, that sort of verge, the sort of a hinge Point where things turn one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at a very special time where I think we have to be very thoughtful about what we do with this technology. Because as we know, these protocols, you build them, you put them out there, and and then there they are, right? Uh, so so yes, I think we're in a very very special and some, somehow vulnerable time where we have to to work um, very ethically and in connection with 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 things all things good <laughs> when we do these things what role does art have in this and and, and trying to um, make people cognizant of that concept of being mindful of what we put out there and the potential consequences of it um I think that art is already playing a really interesting role as the sort of experimental, platform um for these goods for these digital goods for 
the way that um, they are being presented, the way that these things attached to images or art or um, NFTs are uh, being constructed because they all belong to different blockchains. They all have different um, qualities. Uh, there are different platforms that are mint, where people can mint NFTs, for example. And then um, one of the things that I am a little bit critical about is that they are becoming the same sort of, let's say, gatekeeper trying to to avoid by using the technology. Um, and then there are many different things that I think the internet, as we see it today, is presenting, like uh, terms of use, for example. You use a platform like Instagram to showcase your artwork, but then you have to agree to almost like a legal contract that you're not going to read. You have no idea what you're signing into. And basically with any of the services that we use in applications. Um, and I see that these new platforms on Web3 are not really providing uh, a new way of, of uh, behaving uh, when it comes to our personal data or the transparency that we would want to see. Um, there's, I think we can work more on uh, being more ethos-minded in regards to what blockchain brings to the table with the new things that we put together these new platforms make sure that everything is easy for artists to to read to understand to know what they're agreeing to when they're using uh, the platforms when they're minting on x or y platform uh, what is that they're gaining what is it that they're you know giving away by using it um so so definitely um i think the things that are not working with big data right now should be tackled straight in the face with the new things that we're doing. Then, then as an example, walk us through, okay, first of all, um, you said NFE a few times. Now, uh, a good portion of our mm -hmm. audience will know what that means, but for those that don't, yes. it stands for non-fungible token. Um, and that, that differentiates itself from uh, most of the tokens you see previously in Ethereum, like Bitcoin and Ether, mm -hmm. and that um, mm -hmm. each individual token is unique. And it's not tradable yes. with another one. Uh, I mean, it is, right. but they're not—they're not the same value. They're not—they're not what's called fungible, meaning like they're indistinguishable from one another, right? right. So, like the trading cards or art or things like exactly. this. So, as the, can you walk mm -hmm. me through kind of your experience so far trying to incorporate this technology into like the art process and maybe in like how that works and what difficulties you've had so far? Okay, so I, as an artist, have not really used these because I do not produce digital art. Um, as an artist, I have mostly produced platforms for people who use NFTs or who are, um, you know, interested in the art and blockchain community to sort of integrate. So my role in this community has more been as a community builder than as a user of the tools because it doesn't really apply to me that much. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I have done different projects with people as a community builder uh, to gather uh, artists and programmers and bring together people in spaces and conferences and hackathons to experiment, to create um 
um, you know, hardware integrations with data and bring, bring NFTs with VR, uh, AR and bring people who know about this. So I personally have, I don't have anything tokenized though as an artist because first I don't make digital art. So, you know, in the blockchain space or art and blockchain, which is I'm, I'm most related to, people think that blockchain is coming in to solve all the problems of the world, which is a misconception. I mean, it serves a use, it has a purpose and it works for certain things. It doesn't mean that everything needs to be using blockchain, right? <laughs> um, so, um, so for what I'm doing, it's not necessary. Um, but I do see, and I know the platforms. So I see certain things that I am a little bit critical about. So, um, in the, uh, hackathons that I was mentioning, um, we did, uh, East Denver three years in a row and I have invited different people to, to experiment with the technology, not, not only with NFTs, but with. For example, creating visualizations of blockchain data using Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, uh, trying to like make people understand what proof of work is. For example, we created uh, two blocks that had Arduinos, uh, Raspberry Pis, and sensors. You would hit two boxes, and the sensors would count the amount of hits on each box, and whoever reached 25 hits first would sort of get the reward. And then a blockchain developer joined and literally created a database where you would be able to see the entry, the timestamp of who what the first person was. So uh, from art, not only uh, in the realm of non-fungible tokens, but also uh, in an experimental way, uh, you can, you know, you can play with blockchain. That's fun. It's a good idea because mm -hmm. you need creative ways to get people to try and perceive such a drastically different yes. technology right you need to have, have find yes. a way to break that that mold that they have with their interface with the technology and start viewing mm -hmm. it differently because if you come at this from the same perspective you're probably going to have a bad time because there's so much right. responsibility risk and so on and so forth in your hands exactly. and there's no power exactly. for the people who make it to fix it for you exactly and then that brings me back to uh, an earlier question you were saying uh, how how art relates or how how is art change being part of the change right you're asking mm -hmm. that and I had an idea in my mind uh, that I was going to express I didn't um, it has to do with art as an artist we can use any subject to make art you can make art about science about history about the future futures anything is a subject matter for art and then when you use blockchain. And when you when blockchain is using art, it seems to me that it's it's booming, you know, since basically, um, I don't know, CryptoKitties boom, then a bunch of other things have come after. Um, and and it seems to me that art is being the sort of guinea pig for the the uh, different uh, ways of making. Uh, and playing around it because there's really no, um, you know, no bad thing that can happen because we're talking about art. We're not talking about things that are really going to um, affect anybody if it doesn't work, right? Uh, I, I, we had a, a talk at East Denver this year uh, that I called Art at the Front Lines of Blockchain Adoption, 
because it really seems to be something that is uh, sort of, um, what would be the word, harmless enough that you can, you know, construct around, there's a community around it, there's plenty of users, there's a market, uh, but it's still not something, you know, like the whole world depends on. So as an artist, I, I you know, it's kind of flattering to see that artists being used uh, in such a way that it's it's being sort of the test ground in a way for, for this technology. That's exciting. Yeah, that's a neat way of putting it. Not only do you get to help people express themselves, but you also um, work on developing and hardening the standards that are used across the ecosystem, exactly. which then go on to do, uh, I don't want to say much more important work, but more critical risk averse work uh, that relies exactly. on those standards. Mm-hmm. So what's on the, what's coming up next for you? What's, what's on the, what's on the horizon for, for Jessica Angel? Uh, I'm working with the Vancouver Biennial of Public Art um, on creating this massive installation. It's a 600 feet long underpass on a bridge in Vancouver. It's called the um, uh, Camby Street Bridge, the south side for those who know. Um, and it's sort of pending. We wanted to start installing in late June and now things are on halt, but hopefully we get to, you know, continue the work later in the fall. Uh, what's interesting about it is that the whole design is inspired by, um, blockchain in the sense that I'm using the columns and kind of dividing visually the columns with perspective into these sort of chain of blocks that goes around. Uh, this is all across the space, the 600 uh, uh, distance, 600 feet distance all through the pathway, 11 columns. And then we are doing a festival of crypto art with AR inside the space. So I am already inviting different artists to create animations that will be live inside the space, you know, for, for people to see using their phones. Um, so that's exciting. It's a way to sort of uh, serve that purpose of being this bridge between the passerby, uh, public art, and then it's this is right by uh, a subway station, and there's a high traffic there. So for the first time, people will be exposed to, you know, the idea of blockchain uh, from this experiential way. So it's one of those situations where the, 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 the physical representation, like the art on the street, is grasping attention. And then there's things inside of it that then allow them to kind of dive a bit deeper into like better understanding, experience it through AR, things like that. Exactly. That's correct. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's that? Yes. Uh, this is in Vancouver, British Columbia in mm-hmm. uh, Canada. Um, uh, on Under the Camby Street Bridge, which is a, a highway bridge that crosses the water. Uh, it's pretty massive. It's 600, uh, 600 feet long, which is like 180 meters. Um, and um, yes, we want to bring uh, digital art to the public space and digital art that is, you know, tokenized. And then mm-hmm. there will be a market for these pieces afterwards. And it's also a way to to 
bridge bridge the community together um there are so many so many people i'm the i created a telegram group in 2017 and it's turned into this great space uh with around 650 people these are all artists and programmers having discussions about all these ideas that we're talking about here so i invite you to join us hashtag art project uh, and you'll find it on Telegram. We have a website, also artproject.io. And what we're doing is just gathering uh, as much information as possible to um, introduce people to blockchain through uh, the lens of art. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll definitely try and join and check out check that out. I mean, that's also yeah. like bleeds into the kind of like what my next question was real quick to mm-hmm. uh, like on the kind of the wrapping up part of this is, is to, to aspiring artists who want to start playing with this and thinking about it or may have an idea to try and do something where do they where do they go to get started what do they do what do you what would you what would your advice to them to be um i think um well my advice would be just make sure that that you do need blockchain um you an artist will need blockchain if they're work lives in in the world of data or information i guess inside a computer whether it is a text a video photograph sound um for these artists i think the first very first thing would just be to go online and check um jason bailey he writes about the history of art and blockchain uh his website is called art art gnome um, I would check uh, Super Rare, which is a marketplace for NFTs or for digital art. Uh, Known Origin is another interesting platform. Makersplace. I would start on those three and and look looking at them and seeing the differences between them because some of these platforms offer uh, royalties, for example, for artists on resales. Some don't. Um, some are have more clarity on um you know what what the process is uh, in regards to you know the token how it's minted some some don't focus on that so so it's worth just checking and kind of comparing um a lot of artists are putting together you know collectives little groups and um there should be one coming up soon it's called the school of crypto art um and they are making these uh visual diagrams where they show what the difference are between the, the different platforms. So um, I guess starting from those three, um, I'm always happy to answer questions. So you can reach out to me at jessica.angel at gmail.com or join the Telegram uh, channel. You can find me on Telegram as CryptoArtsy or on Twitter as CryptoArtsy as well. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, th- thanks for thanks for telling people about that so they can get a grasp, a better grasp of stepping into the space and trying things out. And finally, of yes. course, we've got to ask our our uh, ongoing question, which is in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Can I describe blockchain? Um, can I describe blockchain? I would say blockchain is, uh, in, in my uh, philosophical sort of perception, I would say it is a, a structure... Uh, that the, it's the only digital structure that has this as, as much rooting as the physical structures have. I would say a root digital abstract structure. 
with roots cool. in the physical world. That last one is under 10 words. I'll give you that one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, great job. That's actually a unique answer we've gotten so far. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I, I look forward to Thank seeing you. Thank you for having me. me.